So, today we're continuing our series through 1 John, and we're looking specifically um, at these things that John writes to this church um, that, that bring assurance, that bring um, a level of certainty to the life and the faith of the believer. He's writing these things to bring some clarity in the midst of confusion, right? Because there's these men and women who've said they're part of the church, but have left the church and come back in and they've said, you know, I think we've figured out what it actually means to be a Christian. And so there's all this confusion because it's not the same as what we've always known and heard. And so uh, John has written to help the church that he's writing to and us today uh, understand truly what it means to be a Christian, to live as a Christian. He is desiring to write these things, he says, just a little bit later in the letter near the end. He says that he's writing these things that this church, that they may know that they have eternal life. That's why he's writing these things that we may know that we may have assurance, that we may have certainty, that we have eternal life, that we are believers. And so as we are looking at these things that that John has written, what he's trying to explain are are characters and qualities and these things that he would deem and say, make us Christian. This is how Christians live. They're essential to the life and the assurance of the believer. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, um, as we kind of started into this series, there's a reality that with assurance, um, for some, as you hear truth, it must bring with it a level of division between those that don't find those things to be true, right? There's a level of uncertainty that must come up in the life of those who have said for so long, I believe these things, but don't recognize these qualities John is saying should come out in the life of the believer. It kind of brings a level of Discertainty, uncertainty, that's the word that I'm looking for. Uncertainty in our hearts and our lives. Um, And so we're going to continue walking through this journey. We're going to continue looking at what John has to say to us in these letters. And we're going to continue to search out these things, these truths, and and let them bear themselves upon our hearts. Let them shine um, as the God of light does upon the darkness of our hearts to help us understand and see and be honest with ourselves about what it is that we truly place our faith in, right? And so today as we continue into this, I just want to ask us, as I've kind of asked every week, for us just to to be real, to be honest with ourselves as we read the text, as we deal with the words of God today. Don't let them just be something you hear um, that you can check off for the week. Let this be real, honest questions that you ask of yourself. Let these be tests that you place upon your heart to check and see if you find assurance, to find certainty there, to see if maybe you have been deceiving yourself. Maybe you have been deceiving yourself and you've believed you're a Christian for so long, but you're realizing these things aren't evident in your heart and your life. Let the truth bear that out, or maybe it will bear out in in glory and goodness that we are his children, in fact. And so let's read the text for today, and let's see what John has to to say to us for us to examine our hearts and our lives with, all right? It's going to be 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 3 and making our way through uh, verse 14. So it says this, starting in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So as I was uh, reading and studying through this text this week, and uh, just thinking through kind of what I was going to bring to the church, uh, I couldn't help but be reminded as I was reading this of my neighbor LV. Um, And his name actually is the letters L, then V. Um, it took me a long time to figure that one out. But LV, uh, awesome neighbor, um, just to give some explanation, he's about 90 years old. He and his wife have been married for about 10 years, um, but they both lost their previous wives, uh, or uh, spouses, I should say. And then um, she, Selma, his wife, has actually lived in the house next door to Amy and I for like 40 years. Um, she's been there forever. She's like a staple in the community. Everybody around us kind of knows who Selma is um, and now her husband, LV. And they, uh, they, they go to a church that's just literally all of a quarter mile down the street. Um, and LV comes from uh, a working background, right? He grew up on a farm, took care of a farm, has passed that on to his son, but really enjoys having a conversation with me about life, about just about everything. He enjoys talking about hard work and what it means to be a, a good worker, to love your wife, to live life really well, right? The, the things you expect a, a 90-year-old man to be telling a, a guy my age, right? And it's good things to listen to. And he really enjoys talking about them, so much so that no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing outside, he will stand by the fence until I stop what I'm doing to go have a conversation with him. He really enjoys talking about things. Um, and I, I enjoy having conversations with him. And so we, we talk about just about everything, but no matter where we start the conversation, by by the end of it, we've moved into this place of um, talking about the, the world and the culture and where it's headed and, and Christ and, and the church and Christianity. He, he professes Christ and is a believer, but as he begins talking about these things and the many conversations we have, there's just this level of uncertainty even in him, this fear that seems to come out, this frustration about how the world is going and where it's headed and, and you know, that What's happened to our Christian nation? What's going to happen in the days to come? There just seems to be a lot of freedom and openness of sin in today's society. And we've just fallen so far. No one is adhering to the commands of God, the Bible. We are not sticking to our roots, he, he says. We're affirming and celebrating these things across our nation that God tells us in his word is, is sinful. And it quickly, he quickly moves on and then into this onslaught of, of uh, a solution. Right? He's got a, a solution for the problem, and it's this onslaught of ifs. Right? In fact, LV says, and has told me many times, that that word if 
is actually the most important word in the Bible, he says. And this is why. This is why he thinks that. Because he says, if people would just go to church, everything would be okay. If people would just read their Bibles and pray, things would change. If people would just do the right things, live morally, or obey God, we would just be fine, right? And that's the scenario he poses and the the ifs that he places upon this world. And I think it's an important question to ask if those things are true and to, to consider because as we read the text today in 1 John, I think you absolutely could see that this is the case that John's trying to make here from the word, right? He says there in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. He says, you know that you abide in Christ if you walk in the ways in which he walked. You know that you're in the light if you love your brother. And there seems to be this kind of case that it's being made. All of these ifs are the things we must live by to know that we are Christians, that everything's going to be a-okay for us in our faith. But we know, in truth, that the gospel doesn't stand upon our works. We do not believe in a gospel that says we have come to Christ, we've come to God because we have finished it all, we've figured it all out, we've completed all the ifs. We need the gospel because we can't, because we haven't. We believe in a gospel that says Jesus Christ is the one who has come and obeyed and fulfilled all of the commands of God. We know Jesus Christ is the one who has come and fulfilled all of the ifs. And that is what is at the heart and the centrality of the gospel we believe in. That's what, what we put our trust and our hope and our faith in. Not that we have figured it out, but that Jesus Christ has done it all and we place our faith in him. So then what do we do with these texts as we come to them that, that place this burden of obedience upon us? If we do these things, then how do we deal with that? What do we do with those things? And I think that's why John wrote verses 12 through 14 there at the end of the section that we just read because he says this. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. John is saying here, and it can only claim and call us to obedience because he's written, because they have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, your sins are forgiven. You truly know who God is. You have overcome the evil one. The word of God is abiding and living in you. And it's because of these things that he can write this to the church, that he can call us to live in this way. Not because they, through this obedience, they come to know Christ, but because they have known Christ. Because they have believed in these things. That's why he can call them to this level of obedience. The first issue at hand is not what we have to do, but what Christ has done. It's where we come to this morning. There is not a person that that cannot find this true in their own hearts. That's why he talks about the children, the young men, the fathers. He's talking about every single person, every single age group cannot find this to not be true about their lives. We cannot truly obey the commands and the ifs if you want to call them that, of the Bible, if we haven't first believed in the gospel. 
And it's essential that you hear that and understand it this morning. So we go into the rest of the text today because what I don't want to happen is for us to think that just because we live in obedience to God's commands means that we're okay. Means that we are Christians. Just because we follow what he says or we, we're in fellowship with God now because of that. Our heart must first be given new life by the Spirit through salvation for us to not only be able to say no to sin, which we tend to think is the the walk of the Christian life is just saying this no to sin, but the Spirit of God has to move in us and bring salvation for us to even say yes to God. We cannot truly walk in obedience and say yes to him unless we have come to him in Christ through salvation. It's impossible Because that's what the nature of faith does, right? What we do is based upon what we believe, always. There's nothing that you do in this life that's not based upon a belief. We we oftentimes think of it as opinion, but opinion or an assent to truth or some kind of knowledge allows us to stand far off, allows us to look at it from a distance and say, I agree to that, I, I would say that's true, I'd say that's good, But faith and belief, by definition, must lead to action. We cannot live in action and and following God's commands unless, in the way that God commands us to, unless we first have belief in him for who he is and what he's done. That's the nature of faith. It leads us to good works. Christians, this is what John is trying to tell us today. Christians live obediently because we believe we have faith in a gospel that absolutely leads to good works. It's what he's claiming today. So do not think this morning that it begins with works. It begins with faith. It begins with belief. It's where we have to start. But hear me today. And be honest with yourself. If you believe that this gospel of Jesus Christ is true of your heart and your life today, if you believe that you are a follower of him, then these words should bring with them assurance. They should bring with them certainty. They should bring with them joy. As he calls us to obedience, this should not feel like a burden. This shouldn't be something that weighs us down or makes us feel like, I can't just go on. There's no way I can get this all done. If we're a follower of Christ, these are the things he promises in the gospel that will work themselves out in our lives. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to see it as a burden. It's an assurance. It's a certainty. These things will come. So if we don't, upon the question that John has posed from the beginning of this book, if we don't, what does that mean that we do know about our lives? What do these things say that we may know about our hearts and our lives? John shows us three reasons, three ways today that we know that Christians live obediently because they believe in a gospel that leads to good works. He shows us three things. And he starts there first in in verse three, and he says this, and by this, this next thing, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. Notice that the John says there that if we do obey and we do keep God's commands and his word, it says, then the love of God is perfected in us. 
John here is, you know, he's throughout this letter dealing with this Gnostic thought, this Gnostic philosophy, which was, that said that there was some special or perfect knowledge or gnosis that they're seeking for that will free them from this world. It's what their philosophy and their religion is about. They're seeking knowledge. And in much the same way, I'm afraid, I have fear and concerns for our church that because of the theological camps we tend to run in, because of the people we tend to agree with and listen to and follow, I'm afraid that we find the most important thing or the thing that defines the depth or um, defines our relationship with God or faith in God is our knowledge of God. And again, while I don't want to deny that knowledge is a bad thing, I mean, we had to know the gospel before we could believe in it, right? And it's not bad to know these things about who God is and what he's done, his attributes, his power, his strength, all the things that he's promising to do. Those things are not bad things to know. But my question is, and I think the point John is trying to make in and through this is, so what? What has this knowledge of this God, of this gospel, done in your life? What has it caused you to do? How has it caused you to change and move to think differently, to live differently. Has it done any of those things? John is saying, if not, then, then it's just knowledge. It's not faith, right? James says in his book uh, that he wrote at the, at the end of the Bible that Satan and the demons, it says, even know who God says he is. In fact, I would argue that probably Satan has a better theology and understanding of who God is than we do. He agrees with all of those things. He knows, has knowledge of who God is. So if the issue at hand is knowledge of God that leads us to a depth of relationship with God, what is it that makes us different than Satan or the demons? I'm not trying to call you guys demons or Satan by any means. So that's not at all what I'm trying to say. But in reality, if that's all it is, what does make us different? It's nothing, right? That's the point. That second, if you look there in verse 3, John wrote, and he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. That second know there in verse 3 isn't talking about a head knowledge, isn't talking about just understanding or assenting to truth. It's actually talking about this intimate, relational, experiential knowledge. It's the same type of know that you read in the Bible when it says that Adam knew Eve. It's an intimacy. This is how we come to know that we know God. It's talking about love, right? He's saying this is how we have come to be sure that you love and live in relationship with God. This is how we know that. If you keep his commandments. Christians, we live obediently to the commands of God because we love God. That's why we do it. And then John says says there that because we love God, when we do obey, that God's love is then perfected in us. So let me ask this morning, do you, I think this is why you're here, do you this morning desire to have a deep, a real, an intimate, a a loving relationship with God? Do you come this morning seeking and desiring to be close to him, to be near to him, to know him in a way that's beyond your head, but moves throughout all of your life? Do you want that this morning? then I would say, and I think John would say, what, what you need to do then is obey his commandments and his love then will be perfected in you. 
God's love reaches its climax in your life and your heart when it truly leads you to love him through obedience. This means that if you don't feel like you're growing in your depth or relationship with God, the answer may not be to do five more in-depth Bible studies. It may not even be to do one more. Maybe the answer is, and the question is, is what you already know leading you to obey? Do you have faith already in the things that you know, the things you understand about God? Is it leading you to change? If not, obey. Walk in obedience. Obey his commands and his love will be perfected in you. This is what happens in the life of the believer. And John, just so that this doesn't seem like unbelievably overwhelming as we think about the realities of commands that exist in the Bible, because, you know, there's hundreds of them. How in the world am I supposed to obey all of these commands, walk in faith in all of these commands? And, and I mean, I'm, God's love is never going to be perfected in me. There's no way. John kind of simplifies it for us a little bit later in his letter. He kind of narrows it down and actually reminds us of something that Jesus said. John says in chapter 3, verse 23, that this is the command of God, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. He says that's the command. I'm not saying that there's not others, but he's saying that actually this will sum up the whole of the commands of God. In fact, Jesus says that as well in the Gospels, right? He says that when the lawyer comes and says, what's it mean for me to fulfill the law? How do I gain eternal life? And Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commands, you will fulfill the whole of the law. From Jesus' mouth, this is all we have to do. Because faith in Christ, if we truly do love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it means it comes out in every area of our life. There's nothing that's left out of bounds of that. So all of the commands of God become easy to follow because it becomes something we're going after, right? And loving one another becomes simply just an action that outflows from this love of God that's been given to us. And so we, we have been given this really simple maybe not necessarily easy command to follow because I can promise you from my own life and I trust that you have found it to be true in your own, this is two really difficult commands to follow for the whole of your life. But John says, if we follow these commands, if we seek after, if we strive after these things, which is what defines the life of the believer, then we will find that the love of God is perfected in us. Walking in obedience is what Jesus calls us to in the gospel, and in it we find the love we truly are seeking. John then continues there at the end of verse 5 into verse 6 and says this, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So where John began with uh, talking about our intimacy and our relationship with God, he continues in these next verses by declaring that we can know that, that we abide in God when we walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. John here is, is talking about this, this, I, this topic of uh, abiding, this idea of abiding. It's something we don't often talk about in the Christian world and in, in the church, but but honestly, this idea of abiding is actually talking about this theology, this understanding of our union with Christ. 
And this theme and understanding of abiding or being in Christ, actually being in him, is actually something that John talks about regularly in this letter. In five chapters, talks about it ten plus times. This is a big theme for him to cover. And really, as he talks about it, what we find is that this union of Christ deals really in relationship with the Spirit, his Spirit now residing, empowering, and strengthening, and sending us as Christians We no longer walk about in this life living as we please, right? This is not what we do. But as the the previous verses commented, we are following now the commands of God. This is what we do as Christians. But this change of life and desires and all that we do is not driven by our own power, our own strength, or our own abilities, our own giftings. It's not uh, driven by that, but in fact, by God himself through his spirit. And this seems like a a pretty basic thing for us to understand and know as Christians, but I think the implications are absolutely massive when it comes to understanding that we truly do now abide in God. Recognize that. You abide in Christ because you're a Christian today. It's huge. As, As Jesus walked upon this earth... He didn't live and do the things he did in his own power and in his own strength. But it says over and over again in the scriptures, and especially as you read in the Gospel of Luke, as we're going through that, look for it in there. But it says over and over again that Jesus did these things, his miracles, his raising people from the dead, his following the will of God by the power of the Spirit. As Jesus walked upon this earth, um, he... uh, His obedience, his power, his life, they were all empowered by the Spirit of God in him. This means that when we are saved, and as Ephesians promises us, when when we come to salvation, we are sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that same power and strength to live obediently to and to understand the will of God in Christ now lives within us now empowers and seals and strengthens us. We can, by the power of the Spirit, now understand the truths and the realities of God and Christ because the Spirit is the one that actually reveals truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he's sending the Spirit that the disciples might actually begin to understand the truths of Christ. He's here to reveal them to us. So no longer can we pick up the Word of God, have it in our possession with the power of the Spirit and say, we are deceived. We don't know what to do. We have no understanding of where to go in every area of life. I'm not saying that there's not going to be difficulties and moments of uh, lack of understanding. But in the whole of our life, we've been given the power of the Spirit to understand the things of God just like Jesus did. He knew how to walk, what to do, how to live, all of those things because the Spirit was inside of him revealing to him the will of God and how to live by his strength and power. And now that same Spirit lives in us. We can pick up the Bible and read it and know the things of God. We can know who he is. We can know what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live, what that means for us. We can understand those things because the spirit lives in us. And not only do we now have the knowledge to understand those truths, but he's empowering us and strengthening us to walk in obedience to those commands. That's what the union with Christ, the spirit of God inside of us does. Christians, John is saying, we live like Christ. We live in the same way he lived because they abide in Christ. We abide in him. And the spirit is proof. We no longer have to be afraid or defeated when it comes to walking in obedience to Christ. 
when God calls us to go into this world and to, to make disciples, which I think is an absolutely terrifying thing to the majority of us, to think about going out and evangelizing and teaching and training and raising up and then sending out men and women, he calls us all to do that. All of us in the church to do this. When he, when he calls us to do those things, we no longer have to be afraid that we don't know what to do or that it won't work out or that we're going to fail and everything's going to fall apart. The same spirit that, that filled Christ and empowered him to come and make disciples and send them into this world now lives inside of us. We are empowered and strengthened to do the same things that Christ did because he calls us to do them and he would not leave us without the grace and the power to do it. We abide and we walk in Christ. We now both have the command and the gifts and and the power to fulfill the commands of God. We can live like Christ because we now abide in him. That's what John is saying. This is is what the Christian life looks like. It it walks in light of Christ because we be given the same spirit as Christ. And then lastly, John tells the church and us of, of one more test for us to look at our lives in light of and determine if we really are living as Christians who live in the light do. So John says there, in verse, starting in verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's a lot of language in those verses right there that talk about this old commandment, right? And it's, but it's actually a new commandment, but it's an old commandment that's new. And there's a lot of confusion there. You know, what's, how's it possible that it's old and new? And so um, John really there, he's referring in the old commandment that he's talking about is one given by God in Leviticus 19.18. It says this, You shall not take vengeance, Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as we referenced earlier, Jesus actually gave this same command, quoting God, right, to the the lawyer who asked him these things. So we do know it's absolutely an old command. Like, it's been given a long time ago. But notice there that John says that this is a new commandment because it has been made true in Christ, and so then in you. Why is this? Because we are no longer in the darkness. We're no longer waiting for the Messiah to come and save us, but in fact, the Messiah has come, and now we abide in him. Because of this, the command to love one another is not necessarily a new command, but it does come with new power and a new heart. We understand these things differently because the darkness is passing away and the true light is coming, John is saying. We have been given the true light. It is shining upon our lives. We don't have to wonder what it means to love our brother anymore. We've seen Christ do it. We are no longer in darkness. It's an old command, but it comes with a new power. Christians, we love like Christ because we have been loved by Christ. 
We have, in fact, been changed by him so much so that the commands of God have a new and fresh meaning and understanding to them, and we have a new power to obey them. This is the power and the work of the gospel and the spirit in and through the Christian. This is what happens. We love one another like Christ loved us. That's what happens in the life of a believer. But I want to I just take a second and maybe point out the obvious and something I found very strange as I read this. Why in the world of all the things that Paul is, or John is listing here, why is this the one that he gives them most time and attention to? Why, have, why is this one, you know, encapsulate in five verses, four verses, and not just one or two like the others? Why is this even something he has to really write to us? This seems pretty obvious, right? Why of all the commands of God, is this the one that he wants to deal with? And I, like, I read it and it just seems odd. It seems so basic, so normal. But I think he answers my question and he answered my question as I read a little further along in the letter. He says in, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he says this, talking about this issue of loving one another. He says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John says there at the very beginning of those, right? He says, we should not be surprised when the world hates us. But I think that brings with it, we should then be surprised when our brothers and sisters in Christ, when the church those that Christ laid down his life for, that we live life with, we should be surprised when they hate us. Walking in hate towards one another, John says, is like walking around in the darkness with your eyes blinded, stumbling, knocking other people over, knocking other things over. You're walking in darkness. This is not what the, the life of someone who has been saved and changed by Christ, who's been loved infinitely by Christ, looks like. And this word for love there that it's talking about, the love that we are meant to have for our brothers and sisters, is, is a sacrificial, it's an active love. It's beneficial. It sacrifices on behalf of somebody else. Did you notice there at the end of those verses in chapter 3, it says that brothers, little children, let us not love in just word or talk, but indeed and in truth, right? That's what he calls us to do. We are not supposed to just claim with our lips and our mouths that we love one another, but that our love is so true because Christ has loved us so greatly and actively that it actually works itself out in deed and in truth. It comes out in our actions. It's what happens. Are we actually living like this? Do we find that our church is marked by this? Do we find that our lives are marked by this kind of love? The love that John says Jesus loved us with, the one that he laid down his life for us with. Do we find that that love is the kind of love that we express to one another? Or is it just with our mouths? Do we find that we work in deed and in truth in love for one another? 
And in addition to that question, I think John is asking then, does God's love then really abide in us, in you? If you don't see this in your life, is his love really abiding in you? It's really no wonder that the world looks at us and hates us at times, I think. Because I think, in reality, we stand here with, with the world and we, we let them know, you know, you're a sinner. Because of your sin, God is going to damn you eternally to hell where you will face his wrath upon you for all of eternity. But he's provided a way in Jesus Christ and this love is so amazing, so incredible, so life-changing. You need to come and accept it. Come and believe in Jesus Christ and find salvation. Find a love that you have always searched for that will change everything about you. We call them to that. And then they come in and look at us and they're like, so you're claiming that I'm damned to hell, but I, I don't know that I see a different love here. You're saying my life is doomed. But I look in at the church and I go, that's the same kind of love I get from my mom or my dad. That's the same kind of love I get from my friends. It's no different. Why in the world would the, the world want that from us? A message of doom and eternal wrath and hell and a changed life and love of Christ, but it doesn't look any different. If this love that we've been given by Jesus is eternal, it's life-changing, it's awe-inspiring, it's incredible, why is it then that our love is not defined as it comes out of us into this church the same way? Does it look the same way? How We're meant to love like this, like Jesus loved us, sacrificing ourselves for the benefit and the joy of others that they might see and know that we love them in that. Not just in mouth, not just in talk, but in word and in deed. We are supposed to, the life of the Christian is meant to love the brother. And it is talking specifically there about the church. That, that word brother and sister that he uses over and over again, he's talking about the church. He wants the world to be able to see inside of us. We've been changed. We have something different. There is something new to be offered. There is something that happens when you come to faith in Christ, not just a knowledge of him. When you believe in him, something changes. It's meant to change how we love one another. So let me encourage you, brother and sister, this morning. I know that this kind of love seems impossible and it seems like a burden and it seems like it is just way too great for us to really bear. But as we have already talked about and as you know to be true, you this morning abide in Jesus Christ, the sovereign ruler of this world, the one who, who speaks and brings things from nothing into existence. The one who it says in Hebrews upholds the universe by the word of his power. This Jesus Christ, this spirit that he has has been given to you. And you now abide and have been empowered by him. His love has been poured out for you on the cross. But not just there, it's actually been poured out to you, into you as well, continually through his spirit. This is what the spirit of God does. It continues to pour out God's love into our lives. This call to obedience to love one another as Christ loved us is not too great of a task or call for obedience. For this is how our Savior lived. This is how Jesus walked and did what he did upon this earth. And he did it by the same spirit that empowers you and I. God would not call you to something he is not going to give you the grace to obey. 
He's not going to call you to live in obedience and not strengthen and empower you to fulfill it. He's not going to leave us like that. So go today. Walk in obedience to God. Love your brothers and sisters like Christ has loved you. Obey his commands by the power of the Spirit. Trust that through this kind of obedience and in his love, you will be perfected and this world will know you are his. He says in his gospel, it's by this kind of love that this world knows we're his disciples. It's by this they know we're his disciples when we love one another like this. But if you come this morning and find as you read these three things, these three tests upon your heart, do I obey his commands because I love him? Do I walk like Christ walked because I abide in him? Do I love my brother as Christ loved me because he has loved me? If you come this morning and don't maybe find those things to be true about your heart, I want to encourage you this morning with the same truths that I began the sermon with, the same words that John wanted us to know um, why he can call us to these things. He says, starting there in verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. If you have believed in Jesus Christ this morning, these things are true of you. No matter how well you have fulfilled them, no matter how well you have walked them out, you can now walk in obedience knowing that you have overcome the evil one. He will not win in the end. Your sin will not win because your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, not your own. And the word of God does abide in you and it is living in you and it's working in you. So you can come this morning and if you have never believed, you can believe and know these things to be true about your life. They will happen. And if you have believed and don't find them to be true, you can trust in Jesus Christ and his assurance that because you believed in him, these things will be true about your life. It begins and it ends with the gospel. It's because of the gospel that we obey. And it's in our disobedience we find forgiveness in the gospel. All of our life is wrapped up in the truths and the realities of the command of God to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to love one another. It really always comes back to those two things. So I want to ask this question as as we end the question that John is trying to answer for them. Do you know? He's written these things that you may know. Do you know this morning where your heart is? Do you know where it lies? Do you know upon which side it stands? Because there's really just two. There's with Christ or not with Christ. Come to him this morning if it's not. I beg and I plead with you, come to Jesus Christ this morning. There's something far worse than this world that is coming. Come to him. He's calling, he's beckoning you that his love might be perfected in you. If you do find yourself on the side of Christ this morning, rejoice, find assurance, find joy in your heart that these things are going to be worked out in your life. They are being worked out in your life. Be assured the spirit is at work. God has saved you and you will overcome the evil one, right? Let's pray.
Father, as we, um, as we just read your word and, and thought upon it and um, ask it to bear truth upon our hearts, please don't let us run away from that. I ask, Father, that it um, bring real conviction upon our hearts if there is sin that is not dealt with there. Bring conviction as only you can. But I pray as well, Holy Spirit, that you would bring assurance, that you would bring joy, that you would bring um, a life to our hearts that um, as we hear your words, God, the, the one whom we have loved, as we hear your words, may it stir us into greater action for you. May it stir us into greater praise and adoration of you. As we hear your word, God, may we believe, have faith, greater faith in you. We ask, Father, for this because we know that it does not come from us. This is not because of our own works, but it's because of your gospel that we believed and it's because of your gospel that we obey. Help us to believe more today in greater ways in in the name of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And may that belief lead itself out into love for one another and making disciples of this world and obeying the commands of God. I ask, Father, that you would send your spirit to work that in our hearts today. Do not leave us unchanged, I pray, but let your word work. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.